What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New week here on the call-up, and we're shifting a little bit. Just for a quick break, we're going to go and talk about these amateur prospects. We've been talking about farm systems left and right. Now we're going to talk about players that will be joining farm systems soon enough. It's the top 10 draft prospect. We should kind of preface it almost, Jack, with the way too early top 10 draft prospects, but I thought it would be a great time to do it as we go into the spring season, right? We got college baseball right around the corner. We got a lot of high school teams getting their season going, and that's going to change the stocks of a lot of these prospects. But we wanted to go through the top 10 names right now as we get get ready to put out our mock and give you some names that I think could easily slide their way into the top 10 and give you a little primer on what you need to know about these top draft prospects as we start the season I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack McMullen, I'm excited because we have finally really started to to dive into the draft a little bit deeper. That episode with Pete Flaherty inspired me. Uh, He is just the best of the best. Go back and listen to that if you want to get more uh, information on on the draft, of course. That was from, you know... what was that a couple months ago now? Time no, I, I think that was I think that was a couple of weeks ago. It might have been a month ago. I, I thought it was after the holiday season. I, I'm not sure if it was after the holiday season or not, I, actually. Time is I weird remember, in the off season. I, I was in Nashville, I think, when I when we did that. All I know is I was in a hotel. That's all I can remember. But in in a, either way, no, maybe not Nashville. I don't remember where I was, but I was in a hotel. Regardless, Pete Flaherty, Baseball America, as good as it gets, I'm gonna I'm excited now. I'm starting to put together my, you know, big board here, and this is kind of the first look at it. Uh, and and I'm excited to kind of compare and contrast. We'll bring Pete back on in a few weeks and discuss it uh, when he does his update for Baseball America. Which, by the way, just 
keep up with Pete Flaherty and you'll be more than covered on, on the draft front. But it's been yeah. fun for me to dive in now and, and get some more information and watch these guys and just continue to build out what, what I think is, you know, the top 10 here for now uh, in this draft that's coming up in July. But on top of that, being able to get a little bit of a primer of who may be able to sneak into the top 10 while we, we get going in the season, who could slide out, right? Because, you know, there's some players that you know, always we go into the year where we're really bullish on. We're hoping that they're going to build on things. We're hoping that they're going to, you know, make that that stride with the hit tool, add that power, find that long-term defensive home. And you know, all these players have some different questions, but also goes the other way too. Who are some guys that I'm a little bit concerned about who I think could end up falling out of the top 10 or could end up, you know, falling a little bit in that top five area. Uh, another reason why I was inspired to, to do this episode and, you know, break out, break up the, you know, top system rankings and stuff for a little bit was that we're seeing some of these stuff that, that Chase Burns is doing. You could just also say we're seeing some of the stuff that just the Wake Forest uh, team is doing because that, that would encompass Nick Kurtz, who I, I think he could go 50 for 50 in, in the fall and it wouldn't matter. But I think mostly Chase Burns and Seaver King, Seaver King looking really good in, in, in the early going here. Two guys that, you know, were transfers. Seaver from Wingate, we'll talk about him. And then, of course, uh, Chase Burns coming over from Tennessee. He had a little bit more uh, of a track record playing still in the SEC, where, whereas you had Seaver King coming from, from Division Two. But two guys that have just really drummed up a nice amount of buzz before the season has even started. Some high school guys that I've really enjoyed diving into further and, and doing more research on. And uh, just just a lot of fun players. I will say, before we jump into like the draft itself, Jack, like, where are you at? I know it's still early for you in terms of like you'll start really crash coursing during the college season. I know that you love to to watch the college arms as much as anybody. Uh, yeah. And I know as we get closer, you, you, that's when you really, really dial in. But this feels like the time to start to to really lock in. And, and, and how excited are you to get this college baseball season going, but also just start to really dive into this draft? So I'm really excited to have live baseball going, which is going to be great. At the end of this week, we have live baseball back on, on ESPN plus on, on whatever you want to watch it on. I'm like even flow sports, go get any subscription you need just to get your fix. And uh, I'm going to go do that. And and I'm very excited for me. I, I am in the question stage. I have a billion questions about these guys and I'm excited to just pepper you with questions. And a couple of weeks from now, excited to pepper Pete Flaherty with questions what I will also say is my sweet spot when it comes to the the amateur draft, whether it be high school or college guys, is Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. I want to watch the Friday guy. I want to watch the Saturday guy for the best programs in America. And Wake, I'm going to try and watch as many Friday, Saturday games as I can because they have two arms that might end up in the top 10 and Burns and, and Josh Hartle, who I'm excited to talk about if you have him in the top 10. If you don't, uh, I, I do want to mention a certain delivery similarity that I that I'm excited to dive into. But um, yeah, man, like college pitchers, you know, is just my my bread and butter. And um, I'm just I'm amped for college yeah. baseball to be back. Um. I, and as you were talking about that, it just hit me, by the way, it was early December. It was winter meetings. So I was in Nashville. At oh, got it. Party, okay. Winter meetings. So go check that episode out from early December. But yeah, I mean, you, you hit an important point here before we jump into it. And it's that college baseball in general. I mean, of course, you want to watch the best arms watch on the week 
again. But college baseball in general is, is as talented as as it's ever been. And, and I know people are. It sounds like people just love to say that, right? The talent's always getting better. The talent's always getting better. No. Just, just look at just look at what these guys are doing out there. It, it's a different beast, and we've talked about that. Uh, and I think that even if you're not the biggest college baseball fan in the world, tune in on a Friday night uh, to to some of these top teams and, and watch these guys throw. Uh, there's some really talented arms there. And then there's some really talented bats that are great litmus tests, especially with some of these stacked lineups like Wake Forest, uh, LSU. And, and we'll go, go on and on about some of these different teams that are really talented. But um, you're seeing guys now that, I mean, do you remember when, you know, when we were playing in high school, we talked about this, right? Like when you and I were in high school, kid throws 90 miles an hour, he's automatically a power five guy and, and yeah. probably going to a, a top program. Now, if you throw 90 miles an hour, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, we, we might have a spot for you and you know a mid-major or whatever like that's the baseline for division one college baseball yeah right like it's just it's crazy to me uh and beyond that if you threw 97 you ain't going to college like no chance almost no chance anyone that was throwing in high school throwing 97 in high school was going to college now you have guys that are like "Eh, i'll refine my my secondaries and you know keep building and you know they get to campus throwing 100 and it's it's just a whole new world so So, also on the flip side of it though is if guys are hitting that right you're, you're you're facing more challenging stuff yeah. at, at this point too. So these hitters are even more freakish than ever before too on the high school side and whatever. Like I've never been able to look at high school guys and see them turn around 94 at the top of the zone uh, very often. But now I have samples of PJ Orlando doing that several times. I'm able to right. look at Connor Griffin, you know, hit 93 in on the black dead center. Like you're not able to get those kind of, you know, litmus tests for the hitters either. So it, it makes it really fun all the way around. So what I will also say about college baseball is, yes, it's the best it's probably ever been because the baseline player now is just better than it has ever been with the resources that you have pouring into youth baseball and the full time travel programs like 10 year olds are on a rap soto. I good for the game or not. It's going to make kids better. You know that Um, the other thing is. This is also probably just the starting point for the springboard that is a secondary college sport. And college baseball is a secondary college sport. It is still a revenue generating sport. But you look at football, men's basketball, and then you look at the secondary revenues, which are women's basketball, baseball and men's and women's lacrosse. And those yep. sports are going to get better. And I've shared with you my LSU yep. theory. Apparently, Amazon Prime picked up on my on my LSU theory, too, because they're going to make a documentary about it. What did LSU do? They allocated their NIL resources to, yes, a quarterback. Sure. Yeah, like one or two men's basketball players. But they allocated their NIL resources towards women's basketball and baseball. And it got them a national championship in women's basketball with their best player being a Maryland transfer. And they just got Haley Van Lith, who's a Louisville transfer. It makes you a desired location by paying a big time coach and knowing that you can get a paycheck. They also grab an NC State transfer in Tommy White, an Air Force transfer in Paul Skeens, and they win the national championship. If you pour it into a place where resources are not being poured in, you can pass the rest of the the sport so easily. And I think with the NIL boon and the transfer portal boon, we are going to see a better version of college baseball year after year after year. We're in a yeah. great spot. A hundred percent. And the only question is, you know, does it get too concentrated in particular areas? But I think now with so many good players willing to go to college, you look at this draft class right now, you're going to see the majority of the guys that we're talking about in this top 10 are, are college guys. I think the majority of this first round is, is probably going to be college guys, although, you know, a lot can change. Um, 
I, I think the precedent of investing in baseball a little bit more for these power five schools, for these SEC schools is awesome because I think, it, like you said, it shows that you put a good product out there. People will show up. Uh, we saw West Virginia, you know, when they hosted the regional, the, the super regional or they hosted the regional was right. Regional. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it packed that thing out. It doesn't matter where it is, though. They will pack it out when when, when you perform and, and put talent on the table. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, you could probably get some of the best college baseball players in the country or, or, or women's college basketball players without having to break the bank compared to football. Right. For like football. They're winding and out. I grew up a University of Miami fan, dude. Like I'm watching these 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 guys get wined and dined. Like Cam Ward's posting, uh, you know, a, a, a seafood tower, and and you know they're getting millions of dollars. I'm like, you can probably get a really good college baseball player for like a fourth tier receiver. So you know, I think that's what what programs and schools might be realizing and saying, hey, you know, we don't need to put a ton of resource in there, but if we put 10 percent of the football resource, like we could have a national championship contender, and that'll pay. That'll pay when you get there. So. Uh, you know, you'll see some common names here that we're going to discuss in this top 10 that, you know, it's programs that are investing in, you know, schools that are investing in their programs, I should say. Yeah. So we'll start with the honorable mentions. And again, I would say take this list at this point with somewhat of a grain of salt. There's some guys that have more conviction in than others, and, and you'll hear that. Um, there's some that it's really a, a wait and see. And, you know, I could see it go one way or another, but just some names and there could probably be 10 to 15 honorable mentions, right? Because of how early it is. And there's so many different players who could theoretically slide into the top 10, but I'll I'll start with who you wanted to start with because he, he does not technically sneak into the the top 10 here. And Josh Hartle Hartle, I thought about it. You know, I, I had him in some iterations of the mock draft going like, you know, early under slot, maybe to the angels, like they love to do, but I think that the velocity is is a little bit limiting at this stage. And, and I'm looking at some of the the other arms that are out there that I just think are going to be a little bit more of interest to to some teams. Somebody might be out there and, and want to go get a very high floor, polished lefty that can fill up the zone, get ground balls. And he is projectable, right? He's six foot five. And, and I'm interested to hear, you know, what, what you like about the delivery. And, you know, if, if he has an uptick this year, he's easily a top 10 prospect because of what he's able to do. Uh, but I'm concerned that the velo is not going to be totally there. Nothing jumps off the page stuff wise. And with all the bats you have at the top and some of the other arms that I expect, that's usually those are the guys that make the big leap out of nowhere, right? Like I want to see what a Jonathan Santucci can do. I think that there's some other names like a Thatcher Hurd. Of course, we're going to talk about Brody Brecht and some of these other players that I think have a better chance at making a, a leap. Of course, Hagen Smith, nasty, uh, that I think some of these arms could end up getting ahead of Hartle, though Hartle is one of these safer. So that's the thing. I love the floor. The other thing is the delivery is very, very Lodolo. Is it not? I do see some of that. And it's funny because he has some of the similar like sinker action to the fastball and funkiness and ground balls. And it's it's interesting. He is long. He comes from right field pretty much for a left-handed hitter. His He probably makes life on left-handed hitters miserable. And you see the curveball. The curveball is Hartle's calling card, if I'm not mistaken, coming yep. into this year. Hey, he may tweak it and may go to a slider, whatever it is. But that breaking ball, man, like – he generates so much torque with the glove hand, the way he turns and how long his limbs are and the way that his his hips move at the last moment. He is mechanically sound for being Slenderman. And I, I love that from Hartle. So while I do like the floor, 
there's something to dream on when it comes to being a lefty's worst nightmare and figuring out a way to get righties to ground it to second base every time. And there's just something to be said about that, the higher floor, because we're going to talk about a lot of different arms. And I think this is a pretty volatile pitching class. I mean, pitching prospects are volatile by nature, of course. Right. But, um, you know, even a Hagen Smith, you look at, and he's another honorable mention just outside of the top 10 from Arkansas, Hagen Smith fastballs, 93, 94, 95. Uh, it's, it's another unique release that gets a lot of whiff at the top of the zone, but he also walked 13% of batters last year. He's, struck out 35 but walked 13 uh it's it's a good slider it's a good cutter but he's still trying to find that change up how are you going to get righties out um so so there's questions there whereas Hartle, like you know he's just going to be able to massage his way through lineups i'm imagining you know a team like the the red Sox maybe wanting to underslot there with the way they've been able to draft and being very confident in their pitching development with you know breslow in the fold and and kyle Bodie in the fold and and maybe they they go with somebody like Hartle at 12. So he's still a guy that just missed. I think he can slide in there. And the fact that he's big and projectable like that, and you mentioned the delivery and the funk and the ability to get ground balls, I wouldn't be surprised if a team that you know doesn't love anyone that's right there with their pick just underslots him and, and goes with that. Or if his VLO jumps up, he's easily a top 10 pick. A few other honorable mentions that I just wanted to, to hit on pretty quickly um, and make sure I don't miss anybody specifically. Tommy White just outside of the top 10. It's just another situation here where you have a guy that's probably limited to first base. Um, He hits the crap out of the ball. No doubt about it. They call him Tommy tanks for a reason (laughs) and started at NC state transferred to Louisiana state, but 27 home runs as a freshman, 24 his sophomore year. And as a sophomore up to slash the 374, 432, 725 and cut his strikeout rate by 7%. My concern is limited to first and, swings a ton Um, one of the higher swing rates in in college baseball and we saw that get exposed a little bit against better competition and i'm concerned that that's something that could continue to happen i also want to see what it looks like when he's not hitting you know behind wyatt langford um or not wyatt langford excuse me when he's not dylan cruz that's going to be my point that i make with cags too but when he's not hitting you know with with cruz in the lineup and and it's a little bit different and 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 pitchers are game planning for, for tommy white a little bit more and saying hey you know we're going to try to make you expand the zone. You know, he chases at a 35, 36% clip. The approach I do think can kind of undermine him a little bit, but the bat to ball is really good for, for how powerful he is. And, and he's real powerful also hits the ball in the air with consistency. It's 30 plus home run upside if it all comes together, but could be limited to first base. It is aggressive. There's just some red flags with that profile, or at least yellow flags, I would say. The thing that I like about Tommy white is how ridiculously flexible he is. Mm-hmm. A, a guy that big and that strong and that fire hydrant type build should not be able to pretty much get into the full splits with two strikes. Like he he no. does have a two strike approach. He does the Harper thing where he spreads out his legs and it's just a simple weight transfer. There's no kick. There's nothing there. He will fend off pitches, which makes it good. But like he swings all the time, like you mentioned, he his body moves so quickly and so fluidly for someone that is built like that. And and he's yeah. a fascinating watch for me because of that alone. If he can cut down the chase, I have more confidence in him than somebody like uh, Jack Caglianone, who we're going to talk about being able to cut down that chase. Um, and, and the out of zone contact being so good definitely helps a ton. So a lot of upside with that bat, but you'll see when we get into the top 10, a lot of non-premium position bats here. So not a great year to be that profile if you're not 
the top of the top, but he could hit his way into being one of those guys if he can walk more. I just, when you don't have the positional value and it's very power dependent, the approach is something that I definitely want to see be a little bit more ahead. And, and there's other guys that are ahead in that department. Flying through a couple more honorable mentions, Brandon Montgomery. I think this is a guy that could have a monster year and really put himself you know, into that top 10 consideration. Uh, Stanford outfielder who can also run it up to 98 on the mound. So it's an 80 arm in a corner. We, he's, I, we saw him make one of the best throws I've ever seen uh, a year ago from right field. Can hit the ball really hard. A, a good athlete who I think ends up playing a great right field, but could potentially play a, a passable center field in a pinch. He moves well enough. Um, but the power, the projection on his frame, decent feel to hit. I, I think Montgomery is a guy that, that could have a really special year. And then Carter Johnson is a guy that I think doing this prep is, is a player that I, I think could end up being a top 10 pick if he continues to have the helium that I think he can have shortstop from Oxford high school in, in Alabama, one of the smoothest swings in the draft class. Uh, I love his moves in the box. It reminds he's cut from that Jackson Merrill kind of cloth. I would say the difference is maybe a little bit less projectable and maybe a little bit less explosive, but in terms of the bat, being so advanced, the ability to still stick it short, uh, still some power projection here. Carter Johnson's one of my favorite swings in the draft. I think he can tap into above average power, and I think he can stick it short. Somebody that I think ends up kind of climbing up a little bit quicker uh, and, and a little bit higher up the draft ranks here because I'm really pumped on on what he can do. I think a lot of teams are going to start to uh, fall in love with with the swing and the offensive profile there, which is both high floor, but still projectable with the ability to stick on the left side of the infield. And then last but not least, or actually two more, Brody Brecht. I, I yeah. know you love him. Iowa right-hander, just outside the top 10. Obviously, if Brecht reaches his potential uh, or anywhere near it, uh, he's a top 10 pick. But so far, splitting his time between baseball and football, it just hasn't had the ability to to really hone in on baseball. This is a first off season where he's said, Hey, I'm not playing football anymore. I'm focusing on baseball. He was a wide receiver for Iowa, which is insane. Six, four, 225 pounds fastball. That's up over triple digits uh, comfortably and, and a pretty disgusting slider. He's got to smooth out the delivery for sure. Uh, yeah. I think the arm action is a little, eh, he looks like a guy that just is almost just up there, just naturally throwing. And, and I think if he can smooth some things out, um, maybe eliminate some of that horizontal uh, because it's just, it's just, it, it's a lot of horizontal run, uh, and, which can work. But I think if you can also have a four seamer buzzing up, that would help. Slider is great, of course. Uh, but if you can clean up that delivery, I think he could be a major, major problem. So a uh, couple of things, Brody Brecht, th- there's nothing more useless than a wide receiver at Iowa. I don't know why he spent two yeah. falls doing that. Like why I, Brian Ferentz is not going to use you. Um, we'll see if Tim Lester <laughs> would use him. I didn't think he would. Um, but yeah, like good move cutting the football thing, but clearly you can see a freak athlete that just happens to get on the mound and pump one Oh four hot gun or not one Oh four spitting out on a radar gun is absolutely insane. Uh, and then one more thing on Braden Montgomery, no longer Stanford. He's at a and M and I gig him, yep. Texas A&M. Pete Flaherty kind of killed the two-way dream when we had him on, and I think that's fair. Like, he did not pitch much at Stanford his sophomore year, but he OPSed well over 1,000. 18 homers his freshman year, 17 his sophomore year. This guy can be an excellent, excellent outfielder. And it's the Alec Burleson thing, right? You're on the mound for the first couple of years. It's the Will Brennan thing, too. 
that helps your defensive profile because you have a rocket of an arm. A hundred percent. And he's just such a good athlete with it too. I forgot about that to A&M. So nice little yeah. snag for, for the Aggies and, yeah, I, I think he's going to have a huge year down there. And then the last guy is is PJ Morlando. Again, there's mm-hmm. probably another five, six, seven players we could talk about, which we will, I promise, as, as we get closer and as the season continues to progress. And also, we're going to put out a mock draft in the next few days. So we'll probably fly through a mock draft next week, which will give us an, an opportunity to talk about, you know, 20 other prospects that we didn't really yeah. get to today. But PJ Morlando, I, I think, is arguably the most advanced prep hitter in this class. If it's not, you know, if, if you look at, Carter Johnson, I think he's right there too. I think those two guys are are right there neck and neck in terms of the hit tool. But then Orlando has monster power. We saw him win the the, the high school power showcase, right? Then he wins the MVP in the in the Ameri- all American game. Um, he hit put on a show at T Mobile Park, and w- when you see what this guy can do from a hit and power combination, it makes it more uh, palatable that he might end up at first base. But what I love about Orlando, you talk about athletic in the box. This guy's approach or I guess this guy's setup is similar to Tommy White with two strikes. It's similar to to Dylan Cruz with two strikes, which requires, as you alluded to, absurd hip mobility and just absurd athleticism, lower half adjustability, and just the ability to move and 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 control your body. He barely picks his heel up off the ground. Really just his load and his his timing mechanism is is a sink into the back hip. And, and just having his weight sink back there, but takes a ridiculous amount of, of hip mobility and, and athleticism to do that. And he does it. So he's able to see the ball early. He creates a ton of power and whip and, and, and explosion with minimal movement. And that's why I think he's going to be able to blend that hit and power and be one of the best, you know, I think overall bats in this draft. Definitely, you could argue, I think the best prep bat in this draft with just the monster upside that he has. You ready to jump into the top 10? Let's do it. All right, we'll jump into the top 10 in a moment here. But before that, a quick break. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, number ten. Um, it's, we're starting off with some some controversy a little bit here because we're going to go Jack Caglianone. Uh We got the outfielder slash left-handed pitcher. Look, he could be anything from one of the top picks in the draft to I think a guy that could even fall out of the top ten. He is 
one of the more polarizing and difficult prospects to peg in this draft. And honestly, in a while that we've had in any draft, because what he's done at University of Florida is absolutely amazing, right? I mean, yeah. what he's been able to do and hitting for power uh, to go on the mound and, and run it up to the upper 90s from the left side and you know, compete. You know, the numbers aren't great on the mound, but he's competed. He's, he's had some some good starts for them. He's overpowered hitters. But I, I really think ultimately his best chance is, is at the plate. The problem is if you look at Jack Caglino and the pitcher, I think that's a late first rounder at this point. You look at Jack Caglino and just the hitter, I think that's a mid first rounder. And then you combine the two, something that I don't think he's going to be able to do at the highest level because of the red flags that he has on both profiles. Then you have a guy that's considered to be a top five prospect in the class. So that's why he's difficult for me because I don't love him as a pitcher really at all. Um, I, yes, the fastball is lively, but it's a little bit straight. He, he's just able to kind of overpower hitters with the velocity and the changeup flashes plus, but, the slider and cutter aren't great. He walked what? What was it? Eighteen percent of batter, fifteen percent of batter. It was an it was an egregious number, and just yeah. struggled to fill up the zone. So, from a pitching perspective, it's a little concerning there. Then, from the offensive side, he swung as much as anybody in the class, uh, or really anybody in college baseball last year. One of the more expansive approaches, chase rate over forty percent. Yes, he crushes pitches like he he has some of the best power that you're going to have in college baseball with 70 grade power which is why i think he's still the number 10 prospect in this draft but when you have that kind of expansive approach it's not one of those things where it's oh i'm i'm just going to swing less we've talked about it there's a lot of different ways that you know swing decisions are impacted and length of a swing is a big one right because the longer your swing is the, the earlier you have to decide the earlier you have to decide the more likely you are to swing at bad pitches and expand. And that's exactly what Cags did. We saw him start to expand a lot more uh, down the stretch of the season against some of the top competition. A lot of stuff was getting blown by him. He looked a little overpowered. So I, I see monster power potential. I, I see what can be, but at the same time, there's a little bit of this like Reggie Crawford here where it's like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. He's a freak. He's super talented. He's capable of doing some awesome things, but it's the same conversation that we were having with Reggie Crawford. The pitching, like, okay, we'll see how it comes along. He's, he's flashed pretty nicely. Probably looks like he might be better there now. Uh, offensively, tons of whiff. Yes, big power. But, like, right now we're still trying to figure out what Reggie Crawford is, and it doesn't even look like he's going to do both. I think there's a lot of similarities to Crawford here. Yeah, but it is an enhanced Reggie Crawford. Like, Cags mm -hmm. is producing way more than Reggie Crawford ever did at UConn. And, obviously, Reggie Crawford had the TJ thing. Um but at the end of the day, like he was the second best player, Waldrop, second or third best player on a team that got to the College World Series final after a, a top five prospect in baseball, top 10 at least, probably top five in Wyatt Langford. Um, by the way, scrap the middle and Caglione. Everybody's going to learn that this spring. Jack Caglione, not Caglianone, um, which okay. is super weird. But, um, I don't know. Like you look at this guy and you see 99 from the left side. Can you see a reliever? Can you see a closer? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I think so, it's possible. So my thing is like, why can't he do something we haven't seen before? I, I think that we judge him based on the starting pitcher and DH thing. Like, we want to put everybody in the Otani template and they have to play their way out of it, even though like that's nearly impossible. But we're like, OK, can you be a frontline guy or a middle of the rotation arm? Can you be in everyday DH 
at the same time. And that that is the closest thing that we're going to get to that at this point is Bryce Eldridge in the Giants system, which is probably back of the rotation sinker slider guy and an everyday DH or at least the bulk platoon DH with CAGS. He probably profiles as a DH with a ton of whiff, but why can't he DH for the first eight innings and then close a the game out? I look, that would be really cool. <laughs> and that's the thing is there's almost not there, a lot of precedent. There's no precedent so. and there's a ton of value there. So I'm thinking, all right, lefty in the high nineties that sprays like crazy. Gregory Soto, you combine Gregory Soto with Brent Rooker. That's a top 10 pick in a draft. It doesn't sound sexy because they're on their own and they each have their negative stigma attached because they do one thing and then everything else just kind of stinks. But like, if you do both, if you can get a closer that on the open market is probably getting nine to $12 million, Chapman got 10 and a half. Soto is probably getting 10. And then you've got a DH that on the open market is getting 15 because he just hit 30. We're talking about a $25 million player over the course of a year. No, it's 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 a really fascinating conversation and one that I'll be honest with you, if I'm drafting here, um, I'm just willing to to lose out on on the Caglione opportunity. Right. Like I just think like I understand that there's a world where he turns into this super productive, really unique player. But I look at some of the other guys we're going to talk about and I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to take that risk, you know, in the top five, six, seven picks, eight, nine, ten. Sure. But I think there's a there's a real chance he slips because look if he duplicates his season last year exactly, I, I don't know if if he's getting picked ahead of some of these other guys that we're talking about. I think a lot of the the high rankings are you know, predicated on the idea that hey he's going to you know not walk seven batters per nine. Uh, he, he's going to refine the secondaries a little bit more. And then at the plate he's going to cut down on this forty two percent chase rate. Uh, and 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 be a more you know well-rounded hitter, not walk at a five percent clip. I'm interested to see what it looks like when Wyatt Langford's you know not in the lineup with him, and and see what it looks like you know when when pitchers are game planning for him a little bit more. Uh, but I will say the field of hits not bad at all, and I think that helps a ton. But I am concerned that those chase rates will get exposed a little bit more, and uh, that there might be some more whiff against better competition. That said he could burn me on this and, and turn into a, a monster of, of a player here and, and be a top two, three prospect in this class. There's just too many concerns on both sides of things. And if he doesn't pitch, which I think there's a very legitimate chance he, he does, he doesn't really fulfill yeah. his, his pitching prospect side of things. Then you have a first base DH type that, you know, has some whiff concerns, but could hit you 35 plus homers. So there's those a few guys of those don't go in the top ten. If you're a first base DH, like you, you don't do that with the concerns. The first basemen that go in the top ten are Vaughn and Torkelson, who are mature beyond their years. Exactly. So look, I, this is a player where it's like, let's see how the first couple months of the season go, and I'll check back in, and I'll be very honest if if uh, if some of those concerns have been hedged and uh, and and you know, I look like a bozo. But right now, I'm just. So a little too volatile for my liking, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Number nine, Mike Sirota. Uh, it, it's got to be Sirota. There's, not, there's one. It team. is. So Sirota. Mike Sirota, Northeastern. Um, very popular guy right now. I mean, we know Pete Flaherty loves him. Uh, we know Pete Flaherty is a big Sirota guy. But what's interesting is like, I'm seeing him start to fly up the ranks kind of everywhere. I think a lot of people are really bullish on him because – it's a really well-rounded profile in a draft that we, we talked about, like does not have a ton 
of premium position guys at the top of it. It's a lot of bat first type of guys. Sirota can do a little bit of everything. He can play an above average center field. He can tap into potentially above average game power. The raw power is is probably average, but he hits the ball in the air consistently and uh, I think is able to backspin balls. It's a unique swing. Um, I, I think he's got some room for projection. He's very wiry. If you look at you know kind of the build there, he moves well. I, it, it's kind of... This is their classic like 50 to 55s across the board uh, and, and just the projection to, to kind of cap it off and a chase rate below 15%, which really helps. So you have a guy that walks a ton, plays a good center field, has above average power potential and at least an average field to hit potentially above average. It's it's hard to to pass on somebody like this in the top 10 hitting 346, 472, 678 with 18 homers and 19 bags. Uh, that'll always help. And then he followed that up with a nice little performance on the Cape. So uh, I'm expecting Sirota to continue to bolster his draft stock. And I think that's he's either going to be one of the easy slam dunk under slot guys even earlier or somebody that just won't fall too far past the number 10 spot. He's a high efficiency base dealer too. 19 for 21 in the stolen base department at Northeastern this past year, his freshman year, he was 10 for 13. So you know you're getting a guy that is smart in all areas. I, it, based on narrative, I'm not talking play style at all. Based on narrative, it seems very Colton Kowser, where it's, hey, this guy is at the mid-major level. He's not at a hotbed by any stretch, although Northeastern has produced some talent. Sam Houston has produced some talent as well alongside Kowser. So you're talking about a guy that may go five and maybe underslotted. And a lot of people are going to be like, why did they do that? And then he gets into the minor leagues and he produces right away because all he has ever done in his life is produce at any level. He's a Northeast kid. Everybody wants to look at Springer. It's not Springer. It is a nice assortment of tools. It's themes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Springer. It's funny. Wrong Huskies too, which right. UConn Husky and, and George Springer, there's a Northeastern Husky here with Sirota. But I think when you look at what he has going for him already in a team that really feels like he can add some more impact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he goes even higher. I do think that the hit tool gets a little bit more credit maybe than it deserves. Like I think it's closer to an average hit tool than the the comfortably above average that uh, we, I've seen kind of thrown out there. There's, there's some length to the swing and, and some things that I think he needs to clean up that could get exposed a bit more. I think when he went out on the Cape and put up good numbers, there was this calm that came over of, okay, maybe the hit tool is more like that 346 batting average we saw at Northeastern. I I watched uh, most of those, uh, most of those Cape Cod league at bats, you know, definitely some good ABs, uh, but there's some length there. And, you know, I think that kind of results in some waves at sliders and things like that. He just pulverized a lot of fastballs that, you know, were mistakes. And the, the Cape pitching is, I do think we have to recalibrate a little bit to how much value we put on the Cape because the pitching isn't what it once was there uh, at a lot of points. But at the same time, when you put up big numbers there, it's it's always going to help, especially because you're swinging it with wood. And, and the power was shining through with wood, which is the most encouraging thing. And again, there's more projection there. I do want to see a bit better overall contact rates and and just see him kind of smooth out that swing. But overall, really safe and solid prospect that, I don't think a team is going to be very nervous about selecting in the top 10 and could be a popular underslot target, you know, in the top five. If, you know, if somebody doesn't love what they're looking at before that. Sweet. 
Another guy that's cut from a similar cloth, but a little bit more volatility is Vance Honeycutt from North Carolina. I put together, uh, I got in the lab and and, and cut up some video. Uh, It was a blast for me to just kind of go through all of the Vance Honeycutt center field defensive video. Dude, he can go get it out there. Plus, plus defender, I think, potentially in center field. He's a plus, plus runner. Ridiculous closing speed. Ridiculous feel for the, the like I talked about this with Pete Crow Armstrong when he was on, and, and we've talked about it with a couple of different other outfield guys that have come on and done those live breakdowns for us, which you can go see on our YouTube. I still think that's one of the more underrated things we do. I hope people you know, check that out on the YouTube channel. It's, it's one of my favorite things that we do. Did it with Justin Henry Malloy last episode as well. But um, yeah. the awareness in the outfield, right? To, to know where you're at when the wall, when you're converging in the wall, when you're running at full speed. How about when you? Go to pick up the ball, then put your head back down and find the wall, then go and pick the wall back or pick the ball back up in the air. Like little things like that that are really hard that can give you that extra step that can get you a little bit closer, that can help you kick it into that last gear. But I think the awareness of where you're at relative to the wall is something that's incredibly underrated because we look at Savant and we get, you know, jumps and we get some of these different things. We get sprint speed and whatever. But there's a lot of times where guys start to converge on the wall and they slow down a little bit, right? Because they don't know exactly where they're at. But if you know exactly where you're at, you can slow it down right at the last moment or know when to jump, know when to make what move when. Vance Honeycutt did that time and time again, whether he was going to his left, his right, straight over his head. It was a remarkable. And, and that really elevates the floor. The floor for me is, is something similar to, to what we saw from Judd Fabian and, and what Judd Fabian is considered as a prospect now. Like I think that's kind of the, the worst case scenario is that he trends in that Judd Fabian route because there is some concern with the swing and miss. He had a better freshman season from a, a, a statistical standpoint, but his his sophomore season was better from a swing and miss and strikeout standpoint, yeah. but the production was not totally there. So he's trying to marry those now, I think, going into year three. If he can take a step forward offensively, I think he hit 256 last year. Like The, the hit tool is going to need to come along, but there's above average pop. He, he hits the ball in the air consistently. And I think the fact that he hits the ball in the air so much was part of the problem with the the batting average, like a really low BABIP. I think too many like weaker fly balls. If he can find a middle ground with leveraging, you know, that that above average power and hitting the ball in the air, and but also being able to hit for some average, like, dude, you fly. Uh, hit some on the ground and hit some line drives and beat some out. Like, you should never be a low BABIP guy like that. Trying to strike that balance would be huge for him, but he hedges all of that with an extremely patient approach and walks with the best of them, which is why I really like him. You know, people have concern about the hit tool, but usually tooled up guys like this that play in elite center field are aggressive, right? You, you think about like, I know he doesn't play center field, but I think of like a Jorge Mateo type, or we talk yeah. about like a Bretton Doyle and we talk about all the, like all these guys like swing 80% of the time and, and, and don't have you know, the, the ability to get on base that, that Honeycutt has. So I think that hedges. And I still think that there's a decent field to hit here. Yeah. A hundred percent. This guy cut his K rate from 29.7% to 20.4% this past year. 9% drop in K rate. And and you said like, yeah, yeah, the stats were better, right? 25 homers, 29 bags. Uh, his freshman year, 12 homers, 19 bags his sophomore year. Okay, like the low Babbitt, but like this guy can launch with metal. So are you concerned that the power would tick down with wood across a full year? Like you don't see 30 homers here. I, I see 20. Um, okay. I see 20. And, and you maybe. can't. You cannot launch as often as he does with 20 homers. You can with 30, but you can't with 20. Exactly. So but you also want to find that balance, right? So it, it's 
tough, but I, yeah, I don't want to be selling out at a 24 degree launch angle or whatever he is, you know, when, when it's not the, the elite elite power or when you don't have, you know, a ridiculous feel to hit, he has a better feel to hit the, the zone contact rate improving was, was, you know, huge for him. I think and I still think he overall improved his overall profile uh, and, and his stock by what he did last year, even with the numbers backing up a little bit because of the underlying, uh, but 90th percentile over 105 chase right below 15%. Like those are things you love to see. So I, even if he's a, a two fifty hitter who walks a ton, hits you 20 home runs, steals 20 bags and plays the center field that he's capable of playing. That's a four win player every yes. year, yes. every single year. So that's why I think Honeycutt with even a, a half step forward offensively this coming season, easily is a top five pick in this draft. Um, especially, for teams that are looking for center field help at this point, he's a little bit further out. You know, we have him at number eight just because of the upside of some of these other guys. But if this, the speculative upside doesn't come to fruition, you know, as, as we get to the season, then, you know, a safer honey cut, you know, could, could make sense as, you know, edging out, you know, a Seaver King or somebody like that, that we're going to get to in a moment here. But that said, like, I, I feel really good about his floor, which, you know, I think at the very least you've got, a really solid glove first outfielder who's going to walk and I mean, hit enough to carry an everyday role. It just might be frustrating from time to time. But when you got guys like Miles Straw with everyday roles, like the, the offensive potential, even on the lower end, is, is so much higher than some of these guys that have everyday roles in center field off the back of great defense. Right. Number seven, Seaver King. So Seaver King transferred from Wingate, Division II school, put up comical numbers there over two seasons of Wingate, which is a really good D2 school, by the way. And if they've turned out some nice talent, 399, 454, 676 slash line. Then he goes to the Cape where in 16 games, he hits 424. Then he goes to team USA and impresses with and a handful of games there. This guy's explosive and dynamic. And it sounds like he's going to be playing center field for Wake Forest. He's playing shortstop for Wingate, not because he's incapable of playing shortstop. But I actually think he could be a, a passable shortstop. He could end up being, you know, a guy that could stick there with his range, with a decent arm, just with the quick twitch that he has. But he is a guy that could end up being a well above average center fielder. And, and talking to Pete Flaherty about this actually recently, he was saying that he's flying around in center field so far this fall. And, and, and people have been really impressed with what they've seen from him out there. I've been able to see the speed. It's ridiculous. Um, the power can be above average. The field of hits pretty good. He's very aggressive. Um, I think, more quality breaking balls could be somewhat of a concern. So I'm waiting to see, you know, how that kind of looks. But overall, I mean, this is a guy that you have above average power plus speed, potentially above average defensive ability in center field. And I mean, this guy murdered fastball. So if he's able to improve his pitch recognition on breaking balls, I mean, how many quality, quality breaking balls did he see in division two? Probably not as many. He still put up good numbers against good competition in a smaller sample size. If he can prove to handle quality secondaries, I think Seaver King is another guy that could really play his way into you know, the, the top of this draft class. More extra base hits and strikeouts at Wingate. That's too good to ignore. 36 extra base hits, 26 punch outs. 26 punch outs and 243 plate appearances. So he's never punching. Um, the 11 homers is is crazy. I wonder how much game speed do you see him having? Because, you know, I would expect at the D2 level, he just runs rampant. If he has a 457 OBP, but he only has 13 bags and 14 attempts. He's a high efficiency base stealer. That's very clear. But he's not a high volume base stealer. If he swipes a bunch of bags, that's like 
the one element that can turn him into a game wrecker. I agree. I I think the interesting thing with it was, I don't know how much of a priority it was for him. Like it's it's funny because he was hitting lead off a lot for Wingate, especially down the stretch of the year. Um, but I feel like a lot of times he was hitting extra base hits and, and home runs, and, and that might have impacted his ability to steal bags because he wasn't always just on first base. But it is weird that he wasn't, you know, running a little bit more and being more aggressive. I, I think it might be a little bit different now setting the table for Wake Forest and also right. just being aware of, of how he can maximize his draft stock. If he's a guy that's going to be playing center field, you want to be able to, to steal some bags. You want to be a little bit more <clears throat> dynamic in the statistical side of things. But what's fascinating is we saw him start to steal more bags uh, a little bit more frequently, you know, at times in, in summer ball, get a couple games where he stole a pair of bases, but then he would go five, six games without stealing any. So it, it's unique. I, I I'm, I'm curious to see how that, progresses too but I, i'd imagine that that's something that he wants to become a part of his game and with how twitchy and explosive he is i expect it to be something that he ends up doing i think he could easily steal 20 plus bags if he doesn't play shortstop it's probably a solid second a really solid second base really solid third if he doesn't play shortstop or center field but what's interesting is i think you have a situation here where he can play a really solid center field and then can plug in in the infield when you need to and that's like a dynamic super utility chris taylor type uh, yeah. That that is really fun, but I think the hit tool can be better and the power. I mean, this guy's run into some baseballs. Dude, I, we already saw him hit some home runs. I think you know, this fall over 105, 106 miles an hour, and he hit one in March that was 111 off the bat. So this was this past this past season in March. So yeah. I, I think that there's some some big time power. You could you could even argue that he could grow into plus if he goes into plus power with his tools. Like look out. It's going to be a problem. So I think if King puts up numbers in the ACC, this is another player that could really start to force his way up there. And I think you're already kind of looking at a lot of draft boards speculating on that already, because this is a guy that has not played a game outside of Division Two, besides Team USA and the Cape Cod League. And he's already a pretty much a consensus top 10 draft prospect. So I think if he does what we expect him to do and what everyone's kind of expecting him to do, he can be an absolute monster and someone that we're going to get to like number one and that conversation. And I don't think it's outrageous that Seaver King could have a spring that is good enough for him to be in, in one, one consideration with the tools that he has and the versatility again, in a draft where you don't have a ton of premium defenders at the top of it. Yeah. I I'm curious if you were to, Plop Seaver King into the top 100 right now because the center field shortstop hybrid, like he, he ha- will have the ability to play shortstop, but he can be in center. Is he a better or worse prospect than Sidon Rafaela right now? Man, that's so hard. That's such a good question. Uh, it's so hard because he, I think they're really similar in a lot of ways because you have an aggressive, somewhat aggressive approach. Yeah. Feel the hit, but like there's some concern about the hit tool just because of the approach. Uh, and, but and King probably power. has more. Yeah, King has more power, but Rafael is the better defender. And we we have like proven evidence. We have empirical data that Rafael is really good in center. So this would be one of those classic examples of like how risk tolerant are you? Um, yeah. So I think Seaver King could is way more upside. Uh, but Rafaela is really safe. Like you feel good that he's at least a big leaguer in some capacity. I'd probably say Seaver King gets the edge, though. And I'm, I'm just a guy that's still more bullish on, on Rafael. I just think the floor is so high and, and I love what we saw from him in his big league cameo, but I would just edge out Seaver King, but I would say they're in the same tier 
So it would be very close. And that's a great question because I think they're in that same type of bucket, which is a very unique bucket with not a lot of players in it, Uh, in a bucket that I love because if the bat doesn't come along the way you hoped, you still have a big leaguer and and we keep alluding to it, but we talk about the, the buckets of players that we're going to discuss with the new future, like value tool that we're going to do and put together and, and kind of have to explain these, these player rankings. And it's always nice when the backup plan, like the lower end outcome is still big league utility guy, 26 man roster spot tooled up. Like that's always a great fallback plan instead of guy really needs to hit. If he doesn't hit, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. That said, King can really hit and can really murder fastballs. I think is going to start to really shine through with the power, a good season in the ACC. And I think he's in that same conversation with Weatherholt, Bazana, and, and some of these other top, top picks that are expected to go, you know, it, uh, in, the, in the first couple selections of this upcoming draft. We move into number six now, an absolute masher in the corner, maybe first base, kind of similar conversation that we're having with a lot of different players here. But Charlie Condon, Georgia, guy that came out of nowhere last year for the Bulldogs, a, a red shirt freshman. Uh, that just went crazy. How often do guys off a red shirt year do what Charlie Condon did? I mean, hit 386, 484, 800 with 25 bombs in the SEC before going to Team USA and impressing there. I also wonder how many red shirt guys, you know, in their first year off of a red shirt, go to Team USA after that as well. I, I mean, something clearly clicked for this guy. He's 6'6", 215, so sometimes it's, a little bit more of, of a process for those guys to figure it out. And when they do, it's, you know, it looks like this, but Condon, the question is, where does he play? And I think that's part of the, the limiting aspect of, you know, again, we're talking about a non-premium position guy and there's going to be several more of those that we discussed, but with Condon, I, I do think he can get by in a corner, the arms above average. I was watching the video. Like I thought he moved fine enough and that's pretty much all he needs is just to be a passable defender in a corner because the bats insane. Uh, yes, I just read you the numbers, but how about a 90th percentile exit velocity of 110 miles an hour? Uh, and it's a really effortless power that he gets into. And I honestly think that, you know, I've seen some people cite, you know, with concerns or whatever. I think he has a really good feel to hit, especially for a guy of his size. I think he can be an average hitter. If you have an average hitter with plus plus pop, like <laughs> that, that's a top five slam dunk, just absolute, unbelievably high upside bat. And I think that's exactly what he can be. The, the question is, you know, can we see him do it a little bit more now? And we, we only have one season uh, compared to some of these other guys that have been you know, maybe doing it a little bit longer. But it's really hard to argue against those numbers. I really like the swing. I think he's very fluid for how big and strong he is. And he, if he's passable in a corner outfield spot, which I think he can be, that really helps the profile rather than just a, a first base only guy. So the the thing that jumps out to me about Condon, yeah, 25 homers as a redshirt freshman. And I'm with you. Like, I don't know who's going to do the dive. I don't even know how to start doing the dive when it comes to best redshirt seasons or best seasons off of a redshirt of all time. Because, like, that doesn't happen. If you're going to hit 25 homers in a college season, you're playing as a true freshman. Like, that's just yeah. how that works. So yes. it's absolutely bizarre. But the, the thing that jumps out to me just from watching the sporadic Georgia game last year was – he looks young. He looks like a projectable guy. You remember, this is a deep cut college basketball name, but I think he's still in the league and like still playing a little bit. Jaden McDaniels, when he was at Washington yeah. with Fultz, 
Like yeah. he looked like a toothpick. And I think a lot of people looked at him and was like, oh, well, he's going to build out. He's going to fill out a little bit. He's going to become more mature. And the sky is the limit for this guy. I think it's easier to understand with Condon, who is a power hitting corner outfield first base guy, like you're saying, he's skinny as hell. He's listed at 6'6", 210, man. Yeah. If he turns that into 240 of good weight, I mean, are we looking at 35 homers or are we looking at 40 homers? I think you could easily be looking at that. And what's interesting, though, is I again, I think the field of hit is undersold is he's quick. He's he's adjustable. He's not very stiff. And so you almost don't want him to get too strong because you see this bat speed and this whippiness and this fluidity to him that that I think is really enticing uh, and that you can see just what could be. And I'm looking at some of these home runs that he turned around. It's like a guy with those kind of levers, right? We talk about six, six guys, long levers that tend to you know, can get tied up inside. It can be difficult to you know just really always be on time and repeat your moves. He starts with his hands really relaxed. He starts his load early. It's a very simple move. And he's just got crazy bat speed. I'm looking at some of the home runs that he hit, dude. And I mean, he turned around 98 from Chase Dolander on the inner half for a 112 mile an hour home run. Uh, he, he hit home runs off of some of the best arms in college baseball last year in some really tough locations. He doesn't miss hangers. He catches up to Velo. Um, he's a little aggressive from time to time, but this was his first full this is my first collegiate season. So like we're talking about a guy in his first collegiate season uh, doing what he did. It's not nearly the aggression of, of a Tommy white or a, a, you know, a Caglione, a Caglione. But when you look at what he can do, I think from a power standpoint, you see some room for some more projection, which I think easily makes him a plus plus power guy. And then a field of hit that you don't really see often from guys this big. We'll talk about Nick Kurtz too. Like, those both of these guys are a, a field of hit that you don't see from guys with this stature. I'll bet on that any day of the week. And if he's able to play any reasonable ability, like in the outfield, like just be half decent or, or just not be a total detriment. Like we'll get like a Nolan Jones in the corner outfield. Like people were yeah. wondering what that was going to look like. Then, then I think he's, he's easily somebody that look, he's going to have to go nuts because he doesn't have the track record of other guys. But I think he's up there in terms of the bat with just about anybody. Um, you know, Kurtz has the track record and is a lefty and, you know, also could be a gold glove first baseman, which we'll get to. But I put Condon right in that bucket one of of the elite power bats and the, just the elite college bats. Like, I think Seaver King can get there, but I think you enter a new echelon of, of bats at this moment when you get to Condon uh, in terms of college guys. I think he's in that bucket with Bazana, Kurtz, Weatherholt, uh, rather than in that like next tier of bats that we've talked about. Um, that's how good I think it can be offensively. I don't want to throw this on him because, again, he has one year of production at a formidable documented level uh, to, to kind of back this up. But I'm thinking about a Matt Olson. Matt Olson was a solid and passable corner outfielder all of a sudden he turns into a first baseman that's playing every day because that's the best option. And you know that he's durable, but this guy in the minor leagues, when he was coming up, he was playing in some years and at some levels more right field than he was first base, but <laughs> he can do both. He was fine in right. And another guy he's listed at six, five another tall, long guy that uses levers to his advantage has some whiff, but is clearly patient. This is, and you know, just coincidence that it's in the state of Georgia and it's like an hour 15 up the road, but 
this is very college version of Matt Olson that we're looking at. Which would be scary. Uh, yes. and, and I think the, the thing with Condon too is that the bat speed, the ability to hit velocity, I just I think it's going to translate. And, and I think this is a guy that's going to put up some some comical numbers th- this season. So one of my favorite bats to watch uh, and, and definitely somebody that uh, could could compete for the, the Golden Spikes. And he's going to have to really hit to, to dethrone some of the more athletic guys, even if they're not premium position guys that we're going to talk about, uh, because you know, if you're limited to first base, it's it's really tough. And Kurtz has more of the track record and the left-handed hitter and better approach. But if he cuts down on the chase a little bit too and continues to do what he's doing, this is a bat that I will be very bullish on from day one. And and I don't see myself wavering because I'll, I'll buy into that swing, that bat speed, and that those simple moves in the box for such a big guy any day of the week. Yeah. We're going to get into the top five in a moment here. But before that, one more quick break. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Number five. We go back to high school, and this will be the last high school guy we talk about. Connor Griffin from Jackson Prep in Flowood, Mississippi. We had a couple like Southern Mississippi, Alabama, some some good players. It always seems to be some really good players from those areas. But yeah. Connor Griffin, he has a chance to be really special. Uh, outfielder slash shortstop slash pitcher. Just one of those guys that just can do everything. It's like annoying probably when you just watch him on a baseball field. If he's Even if he's on your team, it's just like everything comes easy to him. He seems like one of those guys. He's going to be one of the younger players in the draft. He'll be barely over 18 years old. I think 18 years old and two months on draft yeah. day. Uh, making Again, I think he'd only be older out of the top guys that I know off the top of my head, like Caminiti would be one of the only guys that's younger than him and it'd be by about three months and he reclassified but but griffin six foot four 205 pounds so obviously a big dude but he's a plus runner he actually has a pretty good feel to hit in a, in a simple swing simple pre-swing moves and on top of that pretty good feel for the strike zone can cover plenty of ground in the outfield pretty good actions in the infield gets up on the mound can run it up to 98 with a nasty slider it's just wild what, what what you can see across the board here. And we're talking about two-way prospects and things like that. And, and the interest with, with Griffin is I, I do think that ultimately he's a – I like him more as a potential five-tool out center fielder, um, which obviously that's going to be a top, top pick in a draft. But he also has the fallback, or if they if a team wants to have him do it, uh, the, the ability to to pitch as well with, with that upper 90s fastball sits in the mid-90s with a good slider. But – What's impressed me is how much better the field of hit has gotten, you know, th- as I've been able to kind of see some chronology uh, with video and on, on the big stage. And uh, there was one specific swing that just just blew my mind from him where it was like a fastball running down and in 90 plus miles an hour, a ball and a half off the plate. Not only does he hit it out for a home run, he's able to hit it straight straight away to center field. It's just like such a good path. He's already looking like a professional hitter and there's just some freakish things that he can do that I don't know how many other guys in this draft class can do. Being young, being physically projectable, being athletic, having the hit tool, making you know progress. 
this guy could be a monster and and a guy I wouldn't rule out of one one consideration if he has the the spring that you know he could have. What separates him from Walker Jenkins last year? Like the, this walking you walking me through Connor Griffin at six four, what two ten? Like you mentioned, um, yeah. Jenkins, I think was six four two ten. Might have been six five, like two oh five two ten, something like that. It sounds like offensively, Connor Griffin is this year's Walker Jenkins. It's actually a great comp. I would say Jenkins more advanced hitter. Griffin more tooled up. So, and it's not like Griffin is like a. I don't think the hit tool is like a concern. I think it's the one area where he's not comfortably proficient right like where you look at the power you look at the the speed you look at the defensive ability in center field even you know some of the things that we've seen at shortstop is his actions are pretty clean and then what he can do on the mound the arm like everything else just really really stands out the hit tools come along and and i think it will continue to come along with jenkins it was like you could see a plus hit tool i remember watching i was like it looks like okay i feel like i'm watching kyle manzardo hit um you know griffin it's okay he's gonna have to smooth some things out but i already think he started to uh, and and it looks pretty darn good already as a younger guy in his class, especially. So I, I do think he's this year's kind of Walker Jenkins type. And the only difference would be slightly, you know, or a little bit more deficient in the hit tool, but more proficient in uh, arms, strength, speed. And you know, I just think a, a twitchier athlete. Damn. So there, there's scared. so much unknown with the high school guys, but the idea of what could be, that's an easier sell with the high school guys. Because college guys, you you can turn on the midweek and you can see them go 0 for 4 against Davidson and you start to get some concerns. These guys all yeah. hit 450. <laughs> like Connor Griffin's going to enter this season in, in the high school ranks and in 25 games is going to have eight homers. He's going to hit 400. Like there is, I don't know. It, it's easier for me to get riled up about high school guys, I'm sure. And and also like he's playing, he can play one of two premium positions, right? It's either going to be yes. a good defensive center field, or he can stick on the dirt at shortstop, which he obviously has the, the tools to do. Uh, it's going to be just depending on on what team drafts him and what they want to see. And then also, I mean, on the mound, it's it's pretty damn good. So if you do want to make him a two way guy, like you can, uh, or at least you have the fallback on the mound. I would like to just see him focus on the outfield or or shortstop and blossom into a five tool piece that can hit bombs but you do have that fallback on the mound and, and just another thing that he can do and it's a testament to just how talented he is out there he could be a five tool freak in center field uh which yeah I'm, I'm taking a chance on in the top five if he continues to show out against top end competition and some of the college guys stall a little bit you know that we're going to talk about in a moment here i do think a, a team could get really excited about him and end up taking him in the top two picks we could also see Jay Johnson kind of a fat check. I mean, much <laughs> like Jenkins last year, we were we were talking about Jenkins possibly going to North Carolina. He was one of the last guys to sign. I think it took until the last couple hours for Walker Jenkins to sign. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Again, new frontier of college baseball. Maybe a guy like this does make his way to Baton Rouge. It seems very unlikely. But again, you just never know. You never know. LSU commit. I mean, Dylan Cruz a little. I don't know if it was he was as high up on the draft boards, but a guy that I don't think a lot of people were expecting to go to campus. And you know, it worked out for him. So there, there's some precedent there specifically at LSU as well, where he is committed. Number four, guy that has got a lot of helium and I think will be very easily the first arm off the board. Chase Burns. Um, look, 
I can't wait to watch this guy throw this year. Um, transferring over from Tennessee to Wake Forest was just a slam dunk, right? It was such a good decision for him as a pitcher who had loud stuff, did improve. I think he was a draft prospect at a high school, a top 50 draft prospect at a high school, touching triple digits before he even reached campus at Tennessee. That's when Tennessee was, you know, flame throwing central and a lot of arms just all wanted to, you know, all kind of gravitated towards the, that program. And he got there and he threw more strikes, I think, than a lot of people were expecting. And, and I think that was really good for his profile overall and uh, was very encouraging, especially with the slider. There was some question about the fastball shape, but it was another classic, okay, well, he throws 96, 97, 98, so it's okay, uh, even if the shape's a little bit flatter. Uh, and, you know, how does the third pitch come along? But then he transfers to Wake Forest, and now we're going to see what, what he looks like now. Um, what we do know just through the, the intra-squads and scrimmage games is that he's now up to 102, um, and he is pretty much sitting 99-100, and he's overpowering his entire lineup, which is probably the best lineup in baseball or college baseball or right up there, just blowing it by these guys in these, in these scrimmages before the season. I think if Wake Forest, knowing what they do with the pitching development, if they were able to optimize that shape a little bit more, if they're able to help him, you know, just, just fill up the zone a bit more too, uh, which he's already done. Like I said, in a college level better than I think a lot of people thought he's such a layup for the first, for, for the first drafted arm in this class and you know he he could potentially make it a conversation at the top again. I mean, we didn't expect Skeens to go one, and and, and obviously he he does what he did. I don't think he's going to have a Skeens type of season, but he's not that far off in terms of the stuff. And it's not like he's a a small body dude either. He's what six four, two hundred twenty pounds himself. Like this guy could really turn some heads this year. And he looks like he's worked on his body. Like he showed up and he looks somehow more athletic and stronger, but also like leaner muscle. It's it's he looks more like a pitcher now than he did, I think, at Tennessee. And, you know, it might just be the scrimmage video that I'm I'm drunk on right now. I'm I've watched that thing so many freaking times. The one that Josh Norris put out Baseball America. Credit to Josh for getting out to Winston for that inner squad game. But I mean, dude, like I watched the slow-mos that he clipped in that thread too. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> like yeah. it is, yeah. you can't poke a hole in the delivery and 101 is coming out of it. I was extremely high on Dolander last year and Dolander took a step back when it came to command and when it came to hitting the ground running. Dolander was not that good in the first inning. And I know Peter Flaherty tweeted out a, a certain note. It was like, it took him a while to get into the game, but second inning on, he was one of the best pitchers in America. If Burns doesn't have the command questions Dolander has, we're talking about one of the more complete pitching prospects that we've seen in, in a long time. And Skeens is number one. Skeens is the best pitching prospect that we've seen since Strasburg. But in terms of several pitches that are big league ready in a vacuum right now, clean delivery, command of the strike zone. There are very few pitchers in the last decade that have married those things quite like Chase Burns could marry them this year. And you kind of sparked an interesting thought in my head, which was we had a situation where Dolander was struggling some to, to kind of find out what was going on with his delivery, what was impacting him. In terms of taking that step back, the slow start out of the gate, uh, a little bit of the the, the diminished fastball, the, the strike throwing not being there the way it was before. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like, all right, well, Tennessee couldn't quite 
help Dolander get out of that tough spot and in a supremely talented arm there. Um, no, not not a knock on Tennessee, but you know, it, it's no doubt a better spot for for someone like Burns to be to be at Wake Forest rather than a Tennessee that couldn't quite help uh, Dolander get out of that rut to the degree that he was in and, and, and maximize his stuff and get back to where he was the year before. So I, I think Burns is in a perfect spot to continue to build on his unteachables, which he's got plenty of. And and on top of that, I mean, you talk about the delivery, you talk about the body, you talk about just all of the intangibles that just get you so excited. And, and arms are so risky as it is. We always talk about that. So if I'm going to take a guy that's athletic at 6'4", 215, 220, and has continued to, to just smooth the delivery, the big question is, does he use the changeup? Does he find that changeup more? He barely threw it last year. If that changeup has come along more as well, which you know has flashed really well in these false scrimmages in like the low 90s, the slider's nasty. The fastball, even if it doesn't have the most optimal shape, now at 98, 99, 100 instead of 94, 95, 96, or 95, 96, 97, you can get away with a little bit more of that you know, flatter shape. This is going to be a, a problem for hitters and a three-pitch mix that will allow him to climb through the minors quickly and command that I already think is you know heading in the right direction. I, it, it just all seems to make too much sense. Everything seems to be lining up for a monster year at Wake Forest and uh, a guy that could be floated at the top for a team that wants pitching. Um, and and I don't think slips outside of the top five unless he takes a step back somehow when the season starts. There have been a lot of weekend rotations that we have dreamt on in college baseball since you and I really started keeping tabs on college baseball. I'm thinking back to Vanderbilt with Tyler Beattie, Carson Fulmer, Walker Bueller. I'm I'm thinking back to uh, Virginia had a couple in that time as well. Um, even even a Fiedo, Brady Singer, Jackson Coar at Florida. The front yeah. two of Burns and Hartle this year could be an all-time duo. And there's, there's, I think this Wake Forest team period <laughs> could just be an, an all-time team. Um, it, it is just insane, but I'm with you. I mean, they're going to be able to just take series before you're going to just be like, all right, game one, didn't have a chance. Game two, barely had a chance. And now the series is, is just about a wrap. So it's going to be hard for teams. Uh, I'm very, very excited to go catch some series out there. And they've got other guys too, man. Like Michael Massey uh, is supposed to be a, a potential top 40 pick as well uh, in the, in this upcoming draft. So another arm that is supremely talented that we could see, you know, make a huge impact for them. I mean, this is just a, a joke of a, of a team in terms of like what, what they could do to college baseball this year. Uh, it should be really fun to watch uh, getting to number three, another very good college baseball program. And the large reason why is because of Travis Bazana, Oregon state, I think they're going to be a solid team this year, obviously off the back of one of the best hitters in the entire class. Bazana, you could argue is maybe the best pure hitter in the class. The Weatherhold, you could go Bazana. Uh, you could go even, I, mean, I think Nick Kurtz is more power over the purity, but you know, of course he's, he's a nice little combination there too. But Bazana, man, the numbers are hilarious. Um, it's an unorthodox setup. It's, it's a unique you know, the kind of barrel like drag almost where he's set up where the barrel's just kind of dipping over to the side. It's not Rod Carew, but it's a little funny. And um, it's a unique pre-swing move and operation that, um, you know, if it didn't, if the results weren't there, you'd say, okay, maybe you should change that. But 
I think it actually helps his, his him just make a ton of contact, right? Because he, he slots his barrel in a spot where for him, it's just really easy for it to come right through the zone and live in the zone. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, that unique kind of flat barrel just seems to just cut right through the zone and live there. And the results were he hit 340, 463, 549 through his first two collegiate seasons. Then he goes to the Cape and hits 375 with as many walks as strikeouts, winning the league's MVP award. It's like, I mean, what more do you need to see from a guy hit wise? I look at the swing. I don't know if I see enough violence, like to where you're going to see more than fringy power with wood. And I think that he's getting a little bit more credit for the power than he might actually have. Uh, That's my one like little drawback is I do think that there's a chance that the power is, 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 you know, a little bit below some of the other top bats in this class. Because uh, yeah. I do think that setup and, and what he does to, to make a ton of contact also takes away some of the the whip uh, and, and just the the total just impact that he can have. I know he's been to drive line a couple of times and tried to maximize that that whip and that bat speed and that strength and that power. And that's helped. He has tapped into more power, um, but I don't know how much more there is to tap into. It's probably average power at best. If he does have average power, it's a plus hit that will and an elite approach that will help him be a well above average bat. Uh, but I do wonder how much more upside there is compared to some of these other pieces. It is interesting that he's going to get the opportunity to play short this year at Oregon state. I don't know if he sticks there. It, it's, it's going to be interesting. If he does, then it really helps his case. If he can prove that he can play, you know, even an average shortstop, then he's probably closer to the one, one favorite. Um, but at this stage, it just seems like he's second base first with an offensive profile that allow him to climb really quickly. Good speed. He's going to steal bags, um, but it might not be a premium position. Yeah. So Bazana, I was just kind of diving into what this could mean because I knew I read a, a great article on MLB.com about Bazana's like impact on Australian baseball. And it was Michael Clare last August. And Bazana, after he won Cape MVP, th- there was a great write up and, and it's got quotes from Bazana and it's, you know, kind of diving into the Australian baseball scene. There really aren't many. Aussie baseball players that are drafted because you got to go to college for that, mm-hmm. right? Like they are eligible for IFA signings, Curtis Mead, notably an Aussie that was signed Australian. Um, but I don't think there's been based on reading this, there hasn't been an Aussie drafted before the third round. Like it was Josh Spence third round, Clayton Tanner third round in 06. Liam Spence was fifth round in 2021 out of Tennessee, but Bazana is is going to do something that has never been done before. And I love those stories because it just shows that the game is is global. And we, we kind of lose sight of that. We know that it's huge in the Caribbean. We know that it's huge in Japan. But a place like Australia, you've got Liam Hendricks in an all-star game. You've got Curtis Mead on every top 100. And we're talking about Travis Bazana as the number three prospect in this draft. And, and you know you can make the case that he's number one. Like, I think you can interchange these top three guys at this stage and make a really sound argument for for either of them. Uh, for for me, it was just the offensive upside of of the other two that that separates. Yeah. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head, and it's not only that. I mean, you're seeing the Australian baseball league continue to grow. You're seeing yeah. some of the best prospects that you know maybe I mean, want an intense yeah. lightum opportunity out there. Just Junior Camonero going out there and going nuts. Exactly. Um, 
like it, that's that's fun. It's great. It's exciting. And I hope baseball continues to grow out there. The other side of it is that how advanced Bazana is considering, you know, that he doesn't come from a baseball hotbed uh, to, to be such a polished hitter, uh, to arguably be the best bat to ball guy in this draft, to run a chase rate below 15 percent, uh, to run a zone contact rate above 90 percent. Um, I mean, that's that's crazy stuff. So this is a guy that I think could climb through the minors as quickly as anybody. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of like Brooks Lee similarities, I think. Um, so I was actually going to ask you Shaw, but you think Brooks Lee is closer. Shaw hits the ball harder. Shaw's okay. just got more pop, man. Like, and and that's my thing is, is I do have a little, and it's not even concerned because even if the power is slightly below average or below average, Slap he's still around. a really good bat. Like he's still going to hit the ball hard enough. He hits the ball hard. It's not like, he, you know, it's not like he doesn't have anything there. Um, and he walks and he makes a ton of contact and he does drive the ball in the air. So I, I, I think that there's enough there. Um, but I, I think you're, you'd be stretched thin to dream on above average impact. But he also does bring good athleticism. He is going to be a stolen base threat. He would be an above average second baseman. And if he could be an average shortstop, then you know you, you got a case at 1-1. One, one. Number two, Nick Kurtz. Nick Kurtz, first baseman from Wake Forest. And you know I, I'll just I peel back the curtain on the mock draft. I had to send him to the Reds. Also at number two, and and it's going to be so funny because if he does go there, unfortunately, it's unfair to him. But unfortunately, he's going to get immediately the like the Joey Votto comps, right? It's going to be like, oh, you know, yeah. do we have the next? Do we have the next franchise first baseman power guy? But here's the thing: there's a lot of similarities. And uh, last guy to go second overall to Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken, was Senzel. So oh. it's either going to be, oh, he's the next Joey Votto or, oh, damn it, he's the next Nick Senzel. Yeah, well, you know, his game definitely sends him towards the uh, the, the former, right? And, and I think that's the interesting thing. Six foot five. The, the way I said in the write-up and like what you'll read when we put this out in terms of just the top prospects, uh, top draft prospects article and then and then the mock draft is like, Hitters that are as big and powerful as Kurtz rarely possess the field of hit that he does. Uh, and, and the bat speed is he's the kind of guy that he gets these swings off and you just laugh. Like he turns around velocity inside and it's just this tight turn, ridiculous whip and in the air, just crushed. And then he also has the ability to take a ball in the outer half, maybe even on the outside corner and stay behind it and crush it out to dead center. Uh, he's also extremely patient, walks a ton, 90th percentile exit velocity of 109 miles an hour. Uh, the power to the pull side is, is re- remarkable. Like he, he can hit tape measure bombs, but also just being able to cover all four quadrants, seeing him catch up to velocity at the top of the zone and turn it down, turn it around does not miss stuff at the bottom. Cause that's where his swing naturally goes uh, and naturally lifts for damage. He's just built for, for mashing dude. And like, this is as, as safe of an offensive profile as you're going to get. And then not to mention, yes, he's limited to first. Well, by the way, he could actually be a, a plus defender at first. Like there, there's a potential gold glove defender here at first base, which does help some. Um, but it is all about the bat here. And I mean, this is as good of a bat as you're going to find in the class. I've never seen a season like what Nick Kurtz put up last year. And I've seen 1300 OPS seasons in college. I think Ivan Melendez, he he ran like an OPS close to 1300. Hell, like Sonny Deshera, same type of thing and, and all that field of hit. But this is different because he's a big, strong, athletic, left-handed bat that 
you can see transforming into a menace at the major league level with an Ivan Melendez or a Sonny Desherry, you just don't see it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, great college player. It's going to be an uphill climb in the minor leagues. Yeah. With with Kurtz at 6'5", 235, with the way the swing just looks, and I like you are a hundred times better of a swing analyzer than I am, but just from the naked eye, like I almost view it fans' perspective on swings, the way that thing looks, I'm like, okay, he's going to be hitting third for the Cubs tomorrow. <laughs> he, he looks so ridiculously smooth and comfortable and good, and the fact that that resulted in a 550 OBP and a 1311 OPS is hard to wrap my brain around. He's, he's one of the better college hitters that I've seen in the last however many years. He's up there, man. And, and it's the, you, you mentioned just how, how optimal the swing is. It's a very simple move, just an inward coil. He starts already pretty stacked on the backside uh, and just knowing he's a monster physically like, okay, I don't need to do a ton to get into it. So it's just a little inward coil, slight gather, and then he has the rotational explosion to just uncork on baseballs, but also very athletic, like you mentioned, for his size and adjustable. So that allows him to get to these different spots. But he he really is that like uncorking is the best word I can describe because he does just create so much tension in his backside and just it, it's this explosive turn. But it's a tight turn, too, that allows him to be compact and quick to the ball, but also just generate a ridiculous amount of impact. You almost see him like jump into the baseball, not jump forward, but just his lower half almost just exploding into it that I could just watch him hit bombs all day long. And then the body control also shining through as, you know, a guy that had a OPS over 1200 against lefties, being able to stay on balls left on left, being able to hit, you know, breaking balls left on left, and then running that chase rate that is, you know, below 20%. and then closer to the 15% range. Like, that's just unfair stuff. This guy will not spend much time in the minor leagues. And oh, look, I, I don't think that the, the Guardians are going to be in the business for another first baseman. Uh, but, you know, I think if, if he goes two to the Reds, I think the floor is pretty much three with the bat that he has. Um, he's going to fly, fly up the minor leagues. I would think so. And he would immediately be better than Shanoel. I'm just thinking about like the path that Shanoel took. And I'm like, this is just Curse so much. Yeah, we, yes, but like it's so much sexier than what Sean O'Well could do. Kurtz, Kurtz could do that and and slug over three hundred. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just um, bury so, it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but number one, and and this is just the safe option now. But I do think somebody probably will <laughs> leapfrog him at some point, just because it's such a cluster. I think with so many different talented bats that are somewhat limited defensively. JJ Weatherholt. Second baseman, West Virginia. Look, he can play an above average second base, but that's not why he would go 1-1, and I think he's the favorite to go 1-1 right now. This is one of my favorite swings in, in the draft, I'd say. like Because it's it's similar to what we were saying about Kurtz, where it's like compact but explosive. Weatherholt's not a big dude like Kurtz. I, I would argue Weatherholt might have the best bat speed in the draft, and that's allowed him to tap into above average power. 90th percentile above 105 because he's not a huge dude. But when you watch Weatherholt swing, you don't need to be a, a swing expert or a baseball you know, a prospect analyst or whatever. Just look at the speed of the bat compared to other swings that you look at on a daily basis. And you'll just say, wow, that bat is, is just more of a blur than what I'm used to seeing. And that allows him 
to, to just leverage so much more, right? Because when I know that my time from launch, right, I'm going to swing to contact is quicker than most, I can decide to swing later. When I can decide to swing later, I can make better swing decisions. I can also spoil tough pitches. I can also catch pitches late that I was, you know, just mistimed and still drive it the other way for a hit. I can also turn around velocity in and crush it for a bomb. And the result, look, he hit 449, 517, 787. Not in, not in like the NEC, not in the Colonial, in the Big 12. He did that. Yeah, in the Big 12. Because he's so quick to the ball, but also athletic enough and adjustable enough, the, the barrel accuracy is, is, is impressive. Like even when it, it's a pitch that he looks somewhat fooled on, can adjust and get to it. And his throwing the hands at the ball is different than other guys throwing the hands at the ball. We talk about big dudes throwing their hands at the ball and they're just so strong and they crush it. His throwing the hands at the ball is like, even when he's fooled and it's all arms, he's still got crazy bat speed. So he's able to just do so much. He could beat you in so many different ways. Even when you think you beat him, he's still going to somehow put a, a decent swing on the ball. Even when he puts a, a not his best swing, his C swing is still a hard line drive. It seems like probably limited to a good defensive second base. Maybe a team drafts and wants to try him in, in the outfield. Like that, that could happen. Uh, but to have 20 plus home run power, to have the ability to walk, to be a plus hitter, to have above average speed. It, it's just so hard to find an issue with JJ Weatherholt. Is there an issue? Like, I don't know. Can you poke a hole in him? That's probably why you have him one, one, right? Everybody else you can sort of kind of poke a hole in. And he's the one guy that it's like, it, it's really, really hard to find a hole. The only hole is even try and pry. Not, the only hole is non-premium defender. Okay. And okay. But he plays a good second base and he's athletic enough to, if you want to try him somewhere else, you probably can. So yeah. I mean, yeah. You look at everybody else to like first base, you know, that's, that's the biggest detractor <laughs> Like for, for yeah. Nick Kurtz. Is he plays a gold glove first base, but it is first base. Um, and then you look at some of the other guys. Yeah, I could, I could find, you know, a, a question with, with each of the other ones a little bit more, at least on the offensive side. But with so, Weatherhold, like, it's, it's yeah. hard. So Kurtz is – all right, Weatherhold slots in at 1-1 right now. Kurtz is also a classic candidate to go one, one. If, if they believe that the bat is like that ridiculously good. And then all of a sudden that makes Manzardo expendable again, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Bazana is probably not going to make that jump over Weatherhold in your eyes, right? He would have to show some more pop, I think, or okay. he would have to show that he could play shortstop. If he is even playing an average shortstop, then maybe he could go one, one. It's the, it's the Dansby Bregman thing. Right. Where it's like Bragman yeah. looked like he was moving to third. Dansby's like true shortstop. You just take the shortstop. Exactly. If somebody is going to break up this tier one and go one, one outside of that trio, who is it? I think Connor Griffin. And the answer can change throughout the spring. But I as of Connor right now, your answer is Connor Griffin. Yeah. Okay. Because if you're going one, one, you know, and you could say Chase Burns too. You know, but but from an offensive perspective, Connor Griffin, because we're talking about a five tool center fielder potentially. And if he shows enough this spring that, you know, the Guardians say, I see a five tool center fielder here. I, I think with that potential and just the ability on the mound to just kind of be the, the cherry on top, if they wanted to explore that and how physical he is, Griffin's the guy that I think could could end up sneaking in one one. 
I would be personally, I would be personally shocked if Paul Skeens doesn't have five major league starts under his belt by draft time. It may be a super two thing. I have no idea. He might make the team out of camp, but we're going to have 10 to 15 starts to work with from Paul Skeens in 2024. If Skeens is kicking ass and if Skeens has five good major league starts under his belt at time of draft, why would Cleveland not look at Chase Burns and be like, all right, he's plug and play. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you look at their pitching situation now, all of a sudden it's not. I mean, I know they've got a good farm system, of course. Yeah, they've always got a walk here for Bieber. Like, yeah. And the, and those those starters that they have in the system, they're not Gavin Williams. They're not Bidey. The they only the only the only potential, you know, number two, number one type starter is Daniel Espino, who, you know, we haven't seen throw in a, in a game yet. Did see him throw flat ground or like play catch, which is great. I mean, just any sort of throwing is great, but like you can't count on that. So in terms of a guy with frontline upside, I think Burns would be the name. So I think those are the two guys that could jump in there um, and 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 have a decent chance. And then I wouldn't totally rule out Seaver King. Like if that guy's mm-hmm. doing what he can pot- potentially do, like you know, it, it's going to be hard to pass on that kind of freak of an athlete if he just leapfrogs those guys. But I, I think it'd be really hard to, to surpass the track record of the other you know, three just just prove proven quote-unquote college bats relative to that's you know, a relative word but gotcha. that'll do it for this episode we'll circle back with a mock draft probably next week we will have a raise top prospect episode this week and some other fun stuff ahead interview with matt canarino of the twins organization i'm really excited to talk to him and you know where he's at we've seen some really good flashes from him um and if he's healthy could be a factor as well for minnesota As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.